Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz. And today, we got 10 questions. One of the best people in this industry, ladies and gentlemen, co-founder of Establish the Run, the goat of the fantasy football industry himself, Evan freaking Silva. You can find him on Twitter, at Evan Silva. Evan, happy thir- happy week 13, man. What's up, Ian? Yeah, man, we're, we're flying through this season. I feel like that this, uh, you know, this last, like, four or five-week stretch is always brutal because there are so few buys and <laughs> so many games to cover and... I mean, we've never had this, uh, you know, influx of uh, injury report concerns, you know, uh, with the addition of the, the COVID factor. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of work, but um, it's, it's been fun. It's very, very rewarding if you are willing to put in the work. I think that the hardest working individuals are the ones that are, con- are going to succeed, especially down this, uh, what, five-week final stretch where, um, you know, there's only two teams left that have uh, a single buy. Yeah, I'm sure when you're writing your matchups column, you know, it's, I've had these articles where I'm used to writing, you know, 13, 14 sections. When you add on those last two, man, the full uh, 16 games, woo, adds up, certainly does. So uh, everyone, as we usually do on our Thursday podcast episode, I have 10 questions that I've given Evan. He has prepared some statements and we're going to just talk through them. Uh, check out the Wednesday edition of this podcast. If you want to hear a game by game breakdown. And I'll also be on Friday to talk about uh, some injuries to look at, at uh, you know, going into the weekend. So without further ado, let's get to it. Number one, man, Taysom Hill. He's 2-0 as a starter. He's making his presence felt as a rusher. It's not a disaster by any stretch. Life is generally good in New Orleans for everyone except Alvin Kamara. I mean, he was once on pace to shatter CMC's reception record. Now we're wondering if he could hit 81 receptions for the fourth consecutive season inexplicably. Do you see a turnaround coming for Kamara in terms of fantasy land as long as Hill remains under center? Are we just looking at a borderline RB1 moving forward? Yeah, I, I, are, I'm, are we even convinced that he's a borderline RB1 oh, at man. this point? I oh, mean, man. yeah, I know it's it's like it's shocking to our system because, I mean, for the first, what, 11 weeks of the season, Alvin Kamara was the clear-cut RB1 overall play. And then all of a sudden it's like a new season for Alvin Kamara. And Drew Brees had, what, like 11 fractured ribs and a punctured lung. And we can't really expect him back anytime soon. And, hey, they're winning with Taysom Hill, so they're probably not going to throw in Jameis Winston either the two compounding factors working against Alvin Kamara, number one, 
the fact that Taysom Hill is a true dual threat quarterback. And over the years, as we've seen, you know, dual threat quarterbacks tend not to like, this has been the problem with David Johnson and even Duke Johnson in Houston, like dual threat quarterbacks tend to run in, uh, you know, situations where Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady would stand there and check down number one. And number two, just the team, the overall team pass attempts have plummeted uh, going from, you know, when they've changed their offense, uh, you know, and Michael Thomas very much has experienced that. He had a good first game with Taysom Hill, but then had what, like four for 50 uh, scoreless last week. And he's like a wide receiver three. And Latavius Murray has really started to become almost the engine of the offense. And, uh, you know, I, it feels uncomfortable to say, but I, I think that his value is like almost on par with Alvin Kamara's at this point. It's wild to say, man, but I think you nailed it. Right now, both Latavius Murray and Taysom Hill have more rush attempts inside the 10-yard line than Kamara. Yeah, man, it's, it's the receptions that, you know, on every mind. But to your point, these goal line, the lack of goal line rushing opportunities are not helping at all because this year, Kamara, he actually had, I believe, six scores inside the five-yard line. Like, he was getting that touchdown regression we were hoping for after, you know, last season where he was getting pretty unlucky with it. And now, like, we used to have to worry about Taysom Hill maybe coming in for a snap or two inside the 10. He's out there all the freaking time now. So one interesting thing I found, he, like, he only has one catch over the past two weeks, but on the season, he still has 10 additional catches on swings, screens, bubbles, and like jet sweeps, like this type of manufactured stuff. Like, the, you know, Sean Payton's not an idiot. They should be able to get Kamara, one of their best players, these design touches. Like, I, I know what you're saying, like, based on what we've seen, it's him and Latavius looking pretty even, but come on, we, we, we're going to see this reception spike a little bit, right? I hope. I hope. I mean, as someone that, you know, I, I never wavered off having Alvin Kamara as what a, a top four fantasy pick and wound up there for because a lot of people moved them down during the contract thing. And the what was it? The, uh, it was the same thing with Dalvin Cook. The, the right thing in time. the back. What was the, 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 the back thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had a scary back thing right before the season started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so people were like, you know, jamming him down their list. And I we, we never moved them. I wound up getting him on a bunch of my late uh late draft teams so i hope that uh sean payton figures it out but he's been you know i mean i mean what's really there to figure out though i mean the saints are crushing uh in in their current form and their and their defense is elite too i mean they're it's crazy how every year their defense start starts off the season like first six seven weeks it's atrocious all of a sudden boom they get it together and like they're you know a top five defense the rest of the way it's happening again this year yeah, 28 points allowed over the past four weeks total. I understand they played, you know, a freaking practice squad wide receiver convert last week. But even before then, we saw them, you know, take down the Buccaneers, Falcons, truly impressive performances. All right, moving on. So, Evan, if you can pick any wide receiver in the NFL to be in your fantasy team for the next 10 years, who would it be and why is it DK Metcalf? Right? It's got to uh, be. I mean, I'm not going to argue hard against DK Metcalf, but I do think that there are guys – in his realm, uh, Tyree Kill, number one. Uh, he's already locked up to a long-term contract, and Patrick Mahomes, obviously, he's not going anywhere. Um, Justin Jefferson has been, I mean, I think even better than anyone expected, certainly better than people in the NFL. I mean, a lot of receiver-needy teams passed on him. He went, what, 22nd overall? Uh, you know, he, he's been better than anyone. He's like the best vertical receiver in the league already and this would do who's playing slot receiver last year uh, at LSU uh, leads the NFL in yards per route run AJ Brown come on now I think we're going to talk a little bit more about him yes, sir later in the show <laughs> so we'll save it for that 
uh, and then you know the uh, the 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 god droppling that is uh, Chase Claypool. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he's really in that tier, but I mean, he's the closest uh, athletic uh, comparison to Megatron in the league right now. Yeah, all right, all right. I'm with you, Metcalf, Tyreek Hill. I think those are kind of the primary conversations. It's almost like at some point, like okay, obviously Devonte Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. I think we'd agree those are better, like pure wide receivers. But you put one of these freaks on the field that can just run by everyone. I almost think that's more valuable for an offense to have these days. Like putting fantasy aside for a second, like Tyreek Hill might be the most impactful wide receiver in the league, and Metcalf might be too. I think you know if you're just building an offense, would you maybe want like one of those guys ahead of just a true polished, you know, route runner like a Keenan or Devonte type? I don't know, but the, the question was 10 years. So I oh, think I know. I'm, changing it. I'm changing it. <laughs> I know, but, but the, the original question was 10 years. Yeah. So I think that you have to start with everyone that isn't, you know, I mean, Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins, like maybe for the next five years, maybe, uh, but those dudes are like 27, 28, True. you know, so we're starting with the, the really, really young dudes. If, if you're asking about a receiver that you would just want on your, your real life team, was I guess, that the second question? Yeah, I guess. So I'm with you on the fantasy side of the question, yeah. you know, Metcalf or Tyreek. I'm saying, you know, it's taking a step back, looking like if you were building a team in real life, would mm. you think you would be, you'd be better off taking one of these less polished but still great Metcalf or Tyreek or, you know, the route running just perfect alpha can do everything, but maybe not quite as explosive downfield. Maybe can't open things up for the teammates in the same way. I think I'd go with the alpha athlete. I think so, man. We've seen it yeah. with uh, Deshaun Watson's Will Fuller splits and stuff. Like, just having that speed throw out there can open up I everything. Know. I know. Whew. All right. I want to talk about another big-time alpha number one wide receiver. You alluded to it earlier. So, a couple of weeks ago, I drunk texted you, had a, had a couple of glasses of sheesh, you know, after watching some football. And I was just, you know, really feeling the AJB wide receiver one season. I bark about it almost every podcast, every Sunday on Twitter, twice a day on, uh, on Sundays. But asked you, I was like, could AJ Brown maybe be the best wide receiver in the NFL as early as next year? Your response, he's Terrell Owens. I freaking love it, man. I'm not sure if that was your original comp. You heard it from someone, whatever. I think it's spot on. And look, you look at this Titans offense and like Johnny Smith, Derrick Henry, of course, should have mentioned him first, and A.J. Brown, like just one freak after another. All of a sudden, you look at the schedule in the year, and they could be in a really good spot ending this season just on fire. Are the Titans right now the biggest threat to the Chiefs to come out of the AFC? Well, I think that you would have to say that it's the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers have sort of earned that. They are... 11 or no. I agree with George uh, Charuri, though, that they are overrated. I'm like, did you see the comments uh, below? Getting uh, killed. His, uh, his little snippet calling uh, the Steelers overrated, like the entire Steelers fan, fan base mounted up against PFF, you know, and no credibility, no credibility. Like, you know, what credibility do you have as like a biased <laughs> fan, you know, like, uh, but, but anyways, um, I think it's got to be the Steelers that, that are the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. But after that, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, you know, the Titans are near the top of the list. Um, they're not just, you know, what they were last year, which was, uh, you know, a very run-centric offense. I mean, when they get into games where they need to throw the ball, uh, I mean, they've got A.J. Brown, Corey Davis have an excellent year. Yep. Um, you know, Adam Humphreys eventually will be back to give him like a possession slot receiver. Not that he's a difference maker, but, you know, he, he gives them like diversity with their, with their uh, position, uh, with their skill position packages. And I mean, Derrick Henry obviously is just an absolute month. It's amazing how they have kept together an elite run blocking unit, even after losing Taylor Lewan and getting nothing from their first round offensive tackle pick, Isaiah Wilson, 
who, hey, you know, he, he might be able to become a factor uh, down the stretch. And I mean, Isaiah Wilson is six foot seven, 350 pounds. So, you know, he was the guy who was uh, drafted to replace Jack Conklin. He ended up on the COVID list multiple times, you know, made some, you know, dumb, you know, mistakes, you know, as, as like a really, really young person, you know, in his life, uh, which, you know, I, I never banged dudes for because I, if, if I was 21 and I just got a $3 million signing bonus, like, <laughs> good Lord, like, I'd be, 100%. I, I'd be way doing way dumber shit than these dudes. But, um, but uh, you know, with uh, the Titans, they're, they're absolutely and, – and their defense has started to sort of like – I don't know, their defense has been a problem all year. But uh, Adoree Jackson, who has been out for a long time, he's back in practice. Uh, and they've been a little bit better lately defensively. You know, this was a team that in Mike Vrabel's first two years, they didn't give up points. But this year they've given up points. And I would say that that's probably the biggest question right now with the Titans, if you want to go a little bit deeper, I mean, the, hey, the Raiders have given the Chiefs problems twice. I, I'm not a Raiders believer, you know, and that was very much, you know, I received a lot of uh, confirmation bias uh, from that last week in their 43 to six loss to Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, they've given the Chiefs problems in two games. And I think that they're, you know, still in potentially a position to make the playoffs and the Browns are eight and three and they can run the damn ball. And, you know, we know that that's not necessarily the – in the big picture, that's not necessarily the most efficient way to play. But when you can run it at the clip that they run it, and then you get efficient quarterback play, and then, you know, you're – at least you're sound on defense. You're not terrible on defense. Uh, and, and you can run on the Chiefs. I mean, this is – you know, really over the, over the past few years, the formula to beating the Chiefs has been to control the ball against them, limit the Chiefs' offensive possessions – keep Patrick Mahomes off the field and exploit the shit out of their terrible run defense. And that's something that the Browns could do. Yeah, man. And let's real quick stand that matchup. Cause I'm seeing the Titans sitting as five and a half point favorites against the Browns this week. I went on a, you better bet great podcast earlier today. And I, I like the, I like the Browns as plus five and a half. If that gets up to six, man, especially, but to me, that's one of the best bets of the week. They're getting miles Garrett back everyone. And you know, including myself, I threw a joke at, at Baker Mayfield after that Mr. Richard Higgins. But if you watched that game as a whole last week, I know it's against the Jaguars, but one efficient throw after another, really the three weeks before that were just one, you know, bad weather game in Cleveland after another, like this passing game, even if they're not amazing, they're not going to have the same ceiling that they would with OBJ. They're doable when Baker's at least dealing a little bit. You like the Browns plus five and a half this week? Yes, I actually bet that and parlayed it with uh, the over on that game, which I didn't like initially because, I mean, it's set at 54. That's a lot of points for, for two run-heavy teams. But, you know, as I dug more into the matchup, I'm like, man, both of these teams are going to be able to move the offense, move their offenses against each other. Uh, and you, you get uh, much, you know, better odds uh, betting the, the Brown side and betting the uh, and betting the over in that game. So I parlayed those two together. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I like it. I like it. All right. Question number four. I'm going to give you a bunch of rookie running backs. You don't need to break down each of them. Just tell me who would you who would be your 2021 RB1 from this class? Clyde Edwards, Alaire, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, Antonio Gibson, James Robinson. This is such a difficult question. Um, I think I'm going to go with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, but I, I don't have a, a level of confidence about that, number one. Uh, number two, I think that Antonio Gibson is a guy that could get sensationally hyped 
leading up to next year and might end up being like a back end first round pick in, 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 in redraft leagues. You know, we, we got a long way to go, but um, Antonio Gibson, I think he's going to finish the season strong. He can absolutely play in the past game. I know that JD McKissick has pulled a lot of production away, but I mean, that was his strength coming out of college, coming out of Memphis. And uh, he has shown, I mean, I think he gets better as a runner every single week. So uh, I don't know. He's, he's a dangerous dude who might end up having the highest ADP out of all these RBs, I think. Uh, but, you know, by the time we're doing this again next August. To me, Gibson has like that true McCaffrey-esque touch ceiling in his range of outcomes. My question, man, James Robinson like already has that role we want. Now, he came as this undrafted guy out of nowhere, and I think we tend to, when an undrafted guy comes out of nowhere, we just assume it's going to stop at some point. Evan, we've been through three quarterbacks in Jacksonville. Nothing has really changed. The only constant we've seen is Jaguars offense all year is they want to feed James Robinson. You know, you and me were both on team. Like, do not trust Leonard Fournette going into this year. Don't touch this dude with a freaking 10-foot pole. But James Robinson, like, I feel like this could be a situation where we keep expecting Jacksonville to sign someone, to draft someone. If we make it to May, man, and they haven't added, like, a legit threat, this could be a slam dunk James Robinson. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about James Robinson. He's had one of the best, uh, really, not even undrafted rookie, but one of the best rookie running back seasons of all time. And his ability to just hog usage in that backfield, even though, you know, he's technically got like scrubs behind him, you know, still has been super, super impressive. My concern is with these undrafted guys, you know, regardless of how, how oftentimes even how good they are, when you start to change regimes and, you know, they already fired their GM and, you know, they, they probably will get have a new head coach and, you know, very potentially a new offensive coordinator and, you know, a new quarterback. And, you know, you, you just, you, you never know what's going to go on uh, between now and then, uh, especially, you know, when they, they have no real investment in him, actual, you know, investment uh, in James Robinson. So that would be the lone factor working against him. Uh, other than that, I mean, he's he's been so, so – he's been marvelous as a rookie. As always, many pieces of the puzzle we got to figure out all offseason. But we got time for that uh, a little bit later. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover a risk-free Sunday betting additionally this weekend there is plenty of action to get on so head to the app now to start making it rain on top of those great sign up offers DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain DraftKings is safe reliable and secure making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience so download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't miss offer again DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100 that's right you bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during signup for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
All right, question number five. Brashad Perryman is on a one-year $6.5 million deal with the Jets. Man, he's someone that, to me, like my biggest miss of the entire 2019 season was when he was out, out there in the year. Govan and Evans were hurt, and I was like, no, I can't play Brashad Perryman. It's Brashad Perryman. Just dumb. Didn't work out, but we fixed that. We're getting better. We're improving. And Cleveland, Tampa Bay, and now New York. This man has reinvented himself as a bona fide stud receiver, man. So, again, let's assume he leaves the Jets. Please, for the love of God, leave the Jets. If you could play perfect offseason matchmaker from a fantasy perspective, what team do you want Brashad Perryman on in 2021? Yeah, so I'm on team. Brashad Perryman has always been good. Uh, but, I mean, I understand, you know, the lack of confidence at, at certain points, obviously. You know, he began his, his career. He didn't even really play as a rookie due to this PCL injury, just a brutal PCL injury. And, like, it, it almost seemed like there was infighting between the coaching staff and Brashad Perryman where uh, John Harbaugh would come out and be like, hey, you know, we, we think he's healthy, but he's not practicing. And it seemed like, you know, the the – the team itself was pissed off at, at Brashad Perryman. And, and then when he got in there, like he had like no confidence. I mean, imagine being the first round pick who, you know, got a $2.7 million signing bonus. And, you know, every day, all the veterans on the Ravens, respected veterans are walking past this dude. They're making less money than Brashad Perryman. They're looking at him like, not even out there, chump, you know? And like, I mean, like, this is a real, this is a real deal. Like if you go back and look at, like first round and, and even second round receivers that didn't play as rookies, their, their bust rate is just so, so high. Um, and I think that, you know, like Kevin White would be another one. And I mean, often, often it's, it's caused by injuries and you can, you know, the easiest way to chalk it up is, is to an injury. But I mean, imagine like the, the loss of confidence and being looked at your 21, 22 year old dude just entered the league and, you know, 32 year old Clayus Campbell's like, why aren't you out there, man? You know? <laughs> You know, you're making more money than me, you know. And Same thing with uh, John Ross. That's another reason. John Ross is absolutely another good example. They're, they're, if, if you just go back and look at, like, wide receiver picks that, uh, you know, over the last, like, 20 years that didn't play as rookies, like, they almost never pan out. Um, but Brashad Perryman has sort of, like, gotten it together. You know, his dad played in the NFL and was, like, a, a legit, really good player for a long time, Brett Perryman. Uh, also, his, his, uh, early in his career, like, uh, his, his dad was, like, almost on his deathbed. Uh, so he experienced like an, an extreme amount, an overwhelming amount of early career diversity, uh, got jettisoned by the, uh, by, by the, uh, the Ravens ends up with the Browns, the Browns give him a shot and, you know, he didn't play a whole lot, but when he did, like he made big plays and then um, the Bucks last year, you know, took a shot on him. And when he got an opportunity, he made big plays. And he's, when he's been healthy this year, uh, he has shown big playability. So I, I'm on team Brashad Perryman has actually always been good. Uh, now he's going to be changing to like freaking his sixth team, you know, already. And, you know, we, we know there's already generally a problem with wide receivers changing teams. Yeah. So, I mean, he just, again, has so, so much adversity working against him. Uh, but the, the first team that I came up with was Deshaun Watson and the Texans to replace Will Fuller. I think that's, that's an absolutely natural fit. Uh, and then I looked at Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I don't know what they think about Marcus Valdez-Scanling. Obviously, Mar Marcus Valdez-Scanling has – I mean, he's just like the most boom-bust player in the entire NFL. You know, he'll drop a 75-yard touchdown pass the next – but, you know, hey, he's getting open for that 75-yard touchdown pass, and the next time he'll catch it. You know, so I don't know where they are with, uh, with, with, uh, with Marcus Valdez-Scanling. And then I think that, you know, another good option would be just for him to stay with the Jets. 
uh, and maybe play with Trevor Lawrence and, you know, be their number one uh, perimeter receiver, at least, uh, you know, complement Denzel uh, Mims in that role. And they bring back Jameson Crowder and all of a sudden, I mean, they, that's like a pretty good, that's not a terrible three receiver set if they can keep those dudes healthy. I wrote down three teams, Green Bay, Houston, I'm with you. What about a team that's losing Marvin Jones, unrestricted free agent next year, Matthew Stafford, Detroit Lions, man. I love uh, Aaron Rodgers. He does a bit on Pat McAfee's show every week now. And I was uh, watching it and McAfee was giving him shit about saying, oh, like, good thing, you know, Patrick Mahomes came in and just introduced the, you know, no-look pass to everyone. Rodgers yeah. Ro- was talking about how, you know, the coaches literally had to tell him to stop doing no-look passes when he was on the scout team quarterback because Favre had, you know, helped teach him and he was so good with this. But anyway, uh, Rodgers took a step back and was just like, you know, who doesn't get nearly enough credit for some of the things he does with the ball and what he can do with his arm. Matthew Stafford and it's been an up and down year this year man 2019 was a much better year overall but you talk about just a dysfunctional organization we gotta see where the coaching staff lands and stuff but I feel like you know Stafford's arm like far from like this guy's still got some good years if we can get a legit number two next to Kenny Galladay that could be a legit offense absolutely and you know that's that's a very much a vertical offense I mean the ways that like if you remember when Jim Bob Cooter was their OC and they were running the offense through funneling the offense through Theo Riddick and Golden Tate. That's when people started to question whether Matthew Stafford was actually good. Uh, but when he's been stretched out and allowed to, you know, throw the ball down the football field, like he's been excellent. He's not old still, you know, he's like 33, 34, which is still, you know, end peak time for quarterbacks. Galladay is not going anywhere. Um, Hawkinson's not going anywhere. Uh, I, I, I like that fit. Swift looks good too. Yes. Detroit, Green Bay, Houston. Come on, Rashad, make it happen. Or to your point, Trevor Lawrence in New York, we could be talking with that too. All right. You mentioned the Raiders a little bit before. Let's talk about them. Derek Carr and company were awful against the Falcons. You know, cannot say a single good thing about that performance last week, but that doesn't take away everything that happened in weeks one through 11. And I get it. You know, Twitter was quick to say same old Raiders, but I truly believe this Raiders offense has taken a little bit of a step forward because since week five, Evan, Derek Carr has a 13.7% deep ball rate. That's when Henry Ruggs came back against the Chiefs. So it's not, you know, a random split. It makes sense getting their field stretcher back. That's sixth among 37 qualified quarterbacks. That's ahead of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. He's always had the ability to throw deep. He just hasn't done it all that much. Now he's doing it. I feel like this has opened up a new version of him and the Raiders offense. Am I reading far too much into this? I mean, do you think Carr has actually turned things around and could be a legit franchise QB for years to come? I know he's been paid like one, but we both know he was not playing like one you know, recent history. Do you think that we could actually be seeing a new Derek Carr in 2021 and beyond? I'm a pretty entrenched uh, Derek Carr skeptic. Um, I think that the offense has been, you know, at times like I've had issues with the way that the Ra- Raiders have built their team. But I, I don't think that you can criticize the way that their offense is run. I, I think that John Gruden, even, you know, even over the past two years, like he has shown himself to be a pretty good offensive designer. And when you watch Raiders games this year, um, I mean, Derek Carr makes so many throws with six to seven yards between him and the nearest defender. Uh, and that's not all just offensive line because, I mean, they, you know, they haven't had Trent Brown. They haven't had Richie Incognito. Um and uh, it's, it's a lot of scheme. And also, I mean, he, he, John Gruden is getting guys open in the scheme. I mean, you know, they, they're maximizing like Nelson Aguilar. They're maximizing, um, you know, Hunter Renfro. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know they, they've gotten big plays elsewhere as well. They, I think that the offense is designed like really well. And to maximize the, the way that the, the quarterback looks, 
But I think at the end of the day, like Derek Carr doesn't give you, he still doesn't give you enough aggressiveness. Like Henry Ruggs has been maddeningly underutilized. I think even Darren Waller has been underutilized. Um, you know, Derek Carr doesn't add anything, even though he's like technically a good athlete, he, you know, he never like has positive scrambles. Um, so I just think he's a middling NFL quarterback and he's a guy that puts a ceiling on them as a team. Uh, their defense still isn't very good. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs is, is solid, but he's, he's like always banged up. Um, I don't know. I think they're like, you know, a seven to nine win team this year. Okay. Fair points all around. Yeah, Rick Gruden, man, I feel like when he came back, a lot of us were just expecting, you know, this old school football coach probably wouldn't, you know, it really wouldn't be successful. But, man, I was in Cincy at the uh, PFF offices a few weeks ago talking to uh, Eric Eager, you know, one of our residential just ballers over there. And, you know, with some of our, you know, just play caller rankings, John Gruden, top five. So, I mean, truly, yeah, you, you said, yep. you know, get scheming guys open. He was doing it last year, but really whole lot of success this year with it. All right, I want to talk about our guy, Cam Newton. He's been through a lot over the past few seasons. Ultimately, this year, he's been out there every single week, except for the Chiefs game where he had COVID. Cam's been up and down as a passer, but a lot of down. I'm putting that nicely. But clearly, the Patriots lacking overall talent, not exactly you know, a good situation to win. And we can all see why Tom Brady took his talents to Tampa Bay. But they're five and six, three losses that could have gone either way. One, do you think the 2020 Patriots have any chance of getting hot and, you know, snagging a wild card or something? And two, has Cam done enough to warrant a 2021 starting opportunity in New England or elsewhere? So, first of all, Cam Newton has been a very difficult evaluation this year. First of all, you know, he did he barely even played in 2019. So, he was coming back from, like, a lost season and was signed very late in the process and, um, you know, had to learn – like maybe the, the most complex offense in the entire NFL on the fly. And the Patriots have done, you know, a, a, about as good of a job as, as they could, they possibly could like meeting him in the middle and understanding what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, but they certainly haven't done, done a good job of surrounding him with talent when Jacoby Myers is like the clear cut number one option in their passing game. And then Jameer Bird, who literally when Cam was in Carolina could not even get on the 53. Like he, he was a practice squad preseason dude. And actually there was one week in preseason DFS RIP in peace um, where I had Demir Bird and Joe Webb. And like, I made like 25 lineups with just Demir Bird and Joe Webb and they just went off and I just won like everything. You know, it was like, it was one of those situations on FanDuel where like, you know, you, you go to like the, the first page of the, of the tournament and like I had all of the top 10 lineups, you know, that, that was, you know, my, my, my last probably big win in preseason DFS ever. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, Demir Bird is like the, Demir Bird is like leading them in, in all the receivers in snaps, you know, Ryan Izzo, Devin cool. Asiasi and Dalton Keene at tight end. I mean, come on, you know, uh, it's, I mean, they, they don't have any talent to surround him with. So he's been a really difficult evaluation. Um, with that said, they are what five and six right now, mm-hmm. and uh, there are seven teams I think making the playoffs in each conference. Correct? Yeah, I believe so. So that's fourteen teams out of thirty-two. That's like almost half the league. That's forty-four percent of the league making the playoffs. Uh, this Ravens, this you know, additional Ravens loss to. Uh, Pittsburgh really helped the Patriots. The Patriots beat the Ravens straight up. And now the Ravens are, I'm, I'm remembering that correctly, right? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, they did. Yes, yes. Sunday night. Yeah, I, I, I bet that game, and I, I had the, the Patriots outright. But um, the uh, but so now the the Ravens are down to six and five, and you know the the Patriots will have the outright tiebreaker against them. Um, the, let's look at the last five games for the Pats. Uh, I, I, I got Chargers. I mean, yeah, okay. the Chargers just find a way to lose. You know, I love the I love Justin Herbert, but they just find a way to lose. They're getting After a point Ra- this week. Yeah. What? Madness. I think Chargers are getting a point. Yeah. Madness, yeah. Evan. Madness. And then uh, at the Rams, that'll be tough. At the Dolphins, I mean, the Dolphins are – they're solid, but they're beatable. Uh, then versus the Bills, that's a tough one, uh, but it's it's in Foxborough, and the Bills have been such a different team with, uh, offense without John Brown, and now he's on IR. And then they play the Jets. So it, it could come down, I think, to that last game against the freaking Jets, who are going to be incentivized to lose, uh, as to whether the the Patriots end up winning, uh, you know, being one of the the final se- uh, top seven teams in the AFC. Yeah, and you look at them. I mean, they're five and six, and I, I know we can go play hindsight doctor and pick through a lot of teams' records, but just for a second with the Patriots, I mean, the Seahawks game, literally ball to one, they lose in the final play of the game. Broncos, they were driving inside the twenty-five, open Demir Bird, Camp couldn't put it on them, and Bills driving inside the twenty again, they lose a fumble, you know, maybe going to score out a minimum, going to OT. So certainly a team that's probably played a little bit better than their records. Your point, yes, Cam. Hardest quarterback in the league, I think, this year to just try to figure out what's going on. To his credit, second most catchable uh, deep ball rate this year behind only the Titans. New England Patriots aren't throwing deep too often, but just realize, like, anyone out there trying to put all these problems on Cam, it's been a team effort. And, you know, the fact they are sitting here at five and six with a chance, I think it's a testament to everyone that they've even been this competitive. Yeah, you know, Levitan took the stance before the season that uh, he was not going to like Cam. And so every week after Cam has like a good week, he never says anything about Cam. But then whenever Cam has a bad week, you know, he's just like, oh, God, I can't believe it. You know, you guys like them, you know. So. I've heard Levy being pretty quiet about my guy Curtis Samuel playing well lately. He said uh, last year, I believe, K.J. Hamler in college would have had uh, 1,500 yards in that <laughs> Panthers offense. But yeah, he, I, uh, Levitin doesn't say anything about Gronk either anymore. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's been a great comeback from Gronk for sure. All right. We mentioned this a little before, but yeah, my guy PFF George caught a ton of flack over the past week for calling the Steelers the most overrated team in the league. His point was pretty much like they're undefeated, but this is not, you know, if you look at their advanced metrics and just Roethlisberger's play as a whole, like this is not your typical juggernaut undefeated team. They took on the Ravens today. Evan, it was not pretty. A win is a win is a win, but, you know, against a team that had five net passing yards going in the fourth quarter, numerous chances, just, you know, sloppy game from the Steelers. They got the win, but whatever. You look at their final schedule, though, we got the Washington football team, the Bills, the Bengals, the Colts, and the Browns. Okay, I mean, there are some good teams on there, sure, but they have a legit chance to go undefeated. I probably would bet against it happening, but they do have a chance regardless. Once we get into January, they have a shot in hell hanging with Mahomes and company because, to your point, we need someone that can control the ball. The Steelers cannot really run, but Big Ben, he's getting the ball out so fast. They're almost controlling the ball through the passing game. What are your thoughts on Steelers Chiefs when it comes down to it in January? I mean, I just completely agree with what George said. And these fans that think that PFF is like a biased against their team are just so like, it's ridiculous. You know, it's so ridiculous. It's true that Ben is... And this is all that was George was saying, which is so simple and so true, is that Ben is like a you know a middle of the pack NFL quarterback. I, I probably would you know he he said uh, in the fifteen to twenty five range, I would definitely lean toward the 
the high end of that range. And I might even give him 12 to 20, like 12 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, just fair. because Ben has been so smart. He's not giving the ball to the other team. That, you know, that counts for a lot, especially when you have a great, great defense and, you know, you can make big plays in the past. I mean, he's, he's been a really smart quarterback this year. Uh, he's not taking sacks, you know, um, he's been an asset for their offense. And especially like considering what the expectations were coming into the year. I mean, some people thought he was just absolutely dust, that he was absolutely done. And I mean, I, I understood, I wasn't on that side. I was hammering the, the Steelers over, but uh, at, at nine and a half wins, but I understood that side of the argument. I was a little bit worried that that, that could be the case. Um, but I mean, shit, they, they hit that over, uh, you know, <laughs> at, at, at the soonest possible uh, opportunity. And um, they're, they're a really good football team. They're just, I don't even think they're in the same tier as the chiefs though. Yeah. I remember in the off season, really, you know, I, I did team needs usually sometime in February. I'm just going through every position group and every team and the bills and Steelers were the two ones that stuck out to me. Like, wow. Like they just, every single position group, almost right. pretty good. Exactly. I don't know if you saw man, but the Steelers, Dude, they've, not, they've now Ian, lost. Ian, Bud yeah. What's up? Ian, like I used to do that for Roto world where I would literally go through every single position group, you know, the starting lineup, the second team, and that is so illuminating, just that process, just to, to go through every team like that. It's so illuminating. It will, it will make you a better, much better football analyst. And um, it's something that, you know, will, uh, will absolutely improve your process. So I, I you know, I, you're a freaking workhorse. I'm not surprised that you're doing that kind of stuff. I appreciate it, man. But yeah, hundred percent. And then that allows you for the rest of the off season, you know, see if they've addressed those needs and if they have a chance to overcome that. So yeah, man, but I was just going to say, so Steelers, like they're, they're looking, they're so complete. They still really are, but Bud Dupree now tore his ACL, unfortunately. So he's going to miss the rest of the year. Devin Bush left before. I mean, I remember in 2017, I believe when Shazier suffered that unfortunate injury, but you know, de- defense really tanked after that. Obviously this is a different year, a different version. They have talent at all three levels, but you know, I think George's point, one of his points too, is that this defense isn't going to keep playing at this high of a level, particularly against a team like the Chiefs. You can only take so many injuries. We'll see, man. I I would say that they deserve to be, you know, ahead of the Titans, but hopefully this pass rush can keep it up without Dupree. They got Hayward, they got to it, they got TJ Watt, still plenty of guys, but, you know, sucks that Dupree is gone. All right, Evan, this is what the people wanted to hear. It's Josh Allen. Our guy has overcome all the haters, has the Bills stand at eight and three. He's a QB four in fantasy land through 12 weeks of action. Now, the second half schedule is what scared a lot of people away at first. And we look at it now, sure looks a lot easier. And, uh, you know, we're talking on December 2nd versus in August. We've got the 49ers, Steelers, Broncos, and Patriots. With or without Dupree, we know the Steelers are still very tough. But these other three teams, while they're still very well coached, they just lost a lot of talent through opt-outs, injuries, you know, whatever, throughout the year. So come, going into Championship Sunday, are you still firing up Josh Allen as a top five QB? Well, first of all, I would say that this uh, is a textbook example of, you know, people that like uh, try to plan their, their fantasy decisions and their fantasy teams around like who is, are these players going to play in the fantasy playoffs is just, I think it's for donkeys. What you need, what you want to do is you want to get off to a hot start and then you actually hope, so you, you want to be uh, really highlighting players that are, are playing against defenses that we expect to be bad early in the season, which is what, exactly what, how it's set up for Josh Allen. And then on the back end, hey, you know, I, I was concerned about uh, the defenses that he was going to be facing uh, in the back end. But also, I mean, injuries could tear them apart. And, I mean, the, you know, the NFL, like the NFL is not, you know, a static league where, you know, we, we it's predictable what's happening late in the season. Like what's happening late in the season is so much changed by injuries. 
And now we look at these teams that, that the, the Bills are facing down the stretch and they're not nearly as, as imposing as they were, uh, you know, as they appeared to be entering the year. At the same time, an offense can be ravaged by injuries. And the Bills have not been ravaged by injuries. But the one big injury that they have had is John Brown. The splits with and without him being ineffective uh, in or inactive uh, are, are tremendous. Um, and even in this last game where Gabriel Davis stepped up and played really, really well against the Chargers, like they still, you know, I think uh, undershot what, what we expected from them uh, offensively. I, mean, I, I know they scored 27 and they won the game. But, I mean, Josh Allen did, did not play uh, to, you know, to, to expectations, uh, from, even from a, from a fantasy standpoint. He was still like a top 12, top 14 quarterback on the week. Um, so what, what are we talking about here? Week 13 against San Francisco on Monday night? Yeah, we have 49ers. I, I just mean it's like 49ers, Steelers, Broncos, Patriots. So pretty much if you were ranking the whole group of quarterbacks, like do you still think Josh Allen would be in your top five, you know, guys you want for the rest of the way? Or is he just more of like a lower end QB one? Uh, I would say lower end QB one. Okay. Real quick. I want to touch on this John Brown thing. Cause I've looked at this too. Yeah. And I feel like we might be cherry picking a little bit here. We look at week three, Smokey Brown played 29 snaps, two catches targets. He was playing hurt. He missed the following games. Josh Allen threw for 311 yards and four scores against the Rams. He has not played well in weeks five, seven, and 12 without Brown. He's also not played well in weeks one, six, eight, and 10 with Brown. I feel like with Josh Allen, okay, we're probably not getting that just complete world beater that was happening in weeks one through three. So I understand that goes into it as well. But I feel like with Josh, the things that we love him in fantasy for are the fact that he, when they get inside the 10-yard line, he's always trying to run for touchdowns. And, I mean, he's 10th in dropbacks this year. They really let him throw the ball around most weeks to his heart's desire. I feel like that volume's not going anywhere. Even though the Bills, yes, they'd be better off with John Brown than without, I feel like we still want to chase that volume, and that should still be there. I feel like they're not going to be passing the ball just less because John Brown's out of the lineup. Well, I'm not going to let you set me up to be uh, to become like a, the, the Josh Allen hater on this show. <laughs> so um, I, I will be pulling for Josh Allen. I've got him in Scott Fishbowl. Uh, my, my team is pretty good. We finished second in, in our division. Um, yeah, it's not one of the best teams in the Scott Fishbowl, but, you know, we've got a shot. Uh, and so I will be, uh, you know, trying to pull this out with Josh Allen as my uh, my catalyst. I'm happy you passed that test, Evan. You, you're still you're still our fearless president of the Josh Allen fan club. All right, last question, man. Thank you again for the time, as always. So a genie comes to you tomorrow, grants you a single wish for week 13. What would it be and why? Mine is that Des Bryant scores a jump ball touchdown against the Cowboys and gets to throw up the X for the first time since 2018. Not looking good, but again, we get to guarantee it. What's your genie Not wish? Not looking good. I mean, what do you think Des Bryant's vertical is at this point? I don't care. I'm happy he came back from an Achilles, <laughs> and that's that. No one can ever take away 2012 through 2014 from us, Evan. Nobody. Yeah. Um, I guess my my genie in the bottle wish would be that uh, Will Fuller's suspension somehow gets overturned. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, on 60% of my teams, and, I mean, I love Will Fuller. Like, dude is a straight baller. Um, I mean, it's been so fun to, you know – dunk on uh, uh injury forecast twitter uh because i mean they're having a rough year i mean everybody's getting hurt yet all the guys that they forecast to get hurt aren't getting hurt you know so that that's been great um but i yeah i, I wish that uh, we could have will fuller down the stretch i mean at, le at least like by week 16 against the Bengals at home they'll be playing 
indoors at, I don't know, what do they call it now, NRG Stadium. We're playing indoors against the freaking Bengals in week 16. Can we just have Will Fuller back for week 16? Real quick, Brandon Cooks, he's been a top 15 receiver with Fuller. I mean, we're not expecting like top five production, but he's still easy upside wide receiver too every week. I mean, I think that we can uh, expect something in the range of double-digit targets uh, on average the rest of the way. Good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, you know, there's there's bad Deshaun Watson on-off splits with Fuller. I get that. Brandon Cooks has increased the yards per attempt. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Jared Goff, and Deshaun Watson, wherever he's gone. And, yeah, I mean, I, I love the point about all these, you know, guys that, you know, when you talked about them in July, you know, talking about their situation and this and that, and then just someone goes, no, they're going to get injured, man. Like, how could you possibly do this? Will Fuller, James Conner, Evan Ingram, Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, all those front runners have seemingly stayed healthy. Absolutely love it. Evan, well, injury, yeah. injury forecast Twitter has been, you know, making us money for, uh, you know, year <laughs> over year. I mean, when you think that you can actually predict injuries – you know, start a website, get rich, you know, put us all under, you know, until then uh, we'll be fading the, the injury prediction Twitter and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, continuing to profit like, like we have uh, majorly over the past half decade. If someone, yeah, if someone comes into a season hurt, that's entirely different. Right. No, the hell Absolutely. But yeah, come on guys, Evan, that's going to do it, man. Thank you for the time. Uh, all right. Everyone can find you at Evan Silva. What else, man? Establish a run, one of the best content sites out there. You're the freaking man. Got anything else to pitch? That's all I got, man. Thanks so much for having me in. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. That's good to do, everybody. He's Evan Silva. I'm Ian Hartz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, bringing you new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Try and get you that good fantasy football information to get you the money. Hopefully, have a fun time doing so. So that's going to do it. And until next time, take care, everybody. Peace.